Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadening the Narrative, where I talk to people who are broadening the narrative I was taught. As a heads up, this episode has been marked as explicit. Today's music is Water featuring Lucy by Micah Bornet and Jasmine Rodriguez. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review to help others find the show. You can find Broadening the Narrative on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Nikki Pappas. For as long as I can remember, I've said that my favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip, the green kind with thin shavings, but I feel conflicted about that now. If I land somewhere else, y'all will be the first to know. (laughs) Um, My pronouns are she and her, and I'm so glad you're here. My whole thing about Black Lives Matter is like I do emphasize the all, like, Mm -hmm. because apparently you do need to say it. Like, as somebody that's like queer and non-binary, there's just like anyone, just like any race, there's heavy homophobia and transphobia like present um there's also so much ableism and like also kind of like when you throw money into the mix classism there's just like so there's like moving goalposts even within Mm. all our own communities On today's episode of Broadening the Narrative, I am joined by Nandi Kay. Nandi is a Southern-born, queer, non-binary artist, activist, and podcast host with a passion for Black liberation, soul music, and fried chicken. I first heard Nandi speak during the May and September webinars for Tina Strawn's Patreon in 2020. Then I listened to the Existential with Corey Leak podcast episode with Nandi. And recently, I listened to Nandi's podcast, Black Friends Dinner. They are brilliant and kind and tell the truth. And I have felt closer to the divine as a result of Nandi's work. So I decided to reach out to see if they could be a guest to talk about all Black Lives Matter. And they said yes. So thank you, Nandi, for coming on to the show. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. Oh, my goodness. Such kind words. Thank you for having me. That's so sweet. Closer to the divine. I love that. That's really beautiful. I'm very excited to be here, Nikki. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, this is one of my, you know, I'm very new to, I think, doing things like this and having mm-hmm. people say, hey, will you come talk about this? So I feel super honored. Oh. Thank you. Oh, I'm super honored. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, to start us off, can you just share about yourself, your background, anything you think would be beneficial for setting the foundation for this conversation? Yeah, so um, like you said, I'm an artist and activist and podcast host, um, but I definitely would say like I'm an artist first. Mm -hmm. That's like my main thing. I'm a creative um, Mm -hmm. and I like to do that kind of in any way that I can. And I like to, uh, yeah, I like creating new things. And I'm not necessarily dedicated to how like good or bad those things are. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've done a lot of things in my life. Um, I have, it's so interesting like to end up on a podcast like this and think about like, okay, what's a good foundation to set? Like I'm a black, queer, non-binary, assigned female at birth person. Um, I am originally from the south and like I'm back in the south now but I just spent 10 years in New York City basically like all my formative years of my 20s um, living in New York and also Los Angeles so I've like kind of been around and found myself um, in a lot of different ways from like Mm -hmm. coming out as queer to coming out as non-binary to you know like I there's always like something new um to be learned and that is like the same thing I think with my journey with like anti-racism like I am affected by racism and so I think I don't have many options of like whether I want to kind of like participate in this work but I think that um as someone also who like loves to learn and who's like always in school or like getting a new certificate and something like I do think that there is power in education and like being able to change minds 
with evidence. I don't know if I think that's the way we solve all our problems. Actually, I don't Mm -hmm. think it's the way we solve all our problems. I don't think education is the key or anything. I just think that that's what kind of speaks to me. And like, what I feel like I can do is challenge people's thinking because my thinking is open to be challenged and I'm like willing every day to like hear something new about something I thought I knew and then Mm -hmm. decide if you know I want to change my mind or not so that's kind of how I approach anti-racism before we started you were kind of saying like um, people who are like not open to learning anything new Mm -hmm. like I've learned like to not have those discussions anymore Mm -hmm. you know because it is up to you to change your mind. All I can do is like give you the information and some people don't even want that. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's so healthy to know that boundary of not engaging with someone and Mm -hmm. putting my energy and my time towards something better and more efficient (laughs) for sure. So thank you for, for sharing that background there. Well, you know, we've now hit a year since the coronavirus was declared a pandemic worldwide. So I wanted to just hear from you kind of how this pandemic has affected you personally before we talk about, you know, the, the other uh, facets. Um, I think, I think at first I was very like excited to be inside all the time. I'm definitely like more of an introvert, even though I'm mm-hmm. social, like I do like to have like my downtime. I like being a homebody, you know, like, um, so at first I was like super stoked about it and I was very, very productive, but then then I got kind of like tired of it because also like you want to have the option to go outside so Mm. I think for me it's it's kind of like two things like on one hand I've had like a lot more uh, control over my time and how Mm. it's spent and how I work um, and kind of like being able to be a little bit more autonomous and how I show Mm. up to like a work day Um, I can be like very comfortable I don't have I can wear whatever Mm -hmm. I want because I'm not going outside that helps me be more productive Um, and also like I get to spend time doing things that I like maybe wouldn't do if I was like going out a lot like I've been really working on like trying to learn how to produce music and that's been like really good to be inside that I have like this time to get the equipment I need and like get the software I need and take some online classes that I maybe wouldn't have taken before, you know, so that's been cool. But also I do like like miss um, people and I miss Mm -hmm. like being able to like hug people without thinking about it or like traveling to see my friends in Los Angeles. Like I wasn't able to go to Los Angeles like I normally do for the winter. And now like another winter is like passing where I can't go yet. Still, hopefully like I'll be able to make it to the West Coast before the year is over. But I miss my friends and I like miss hugging people and I miss like going to shows Mm. and um yeah I think mostly it's been like my mental health that's been mostly affected because it's very hard to like those things are like kind of like the spice of life for me Hmm. of being able to like go to my friend's house and hang out and not have to worry about like oh what we do we need to wear masks inside like what have you been doing um actually no I don't feel like you've been being safe so I can't see Hmm. you yeah and it's changed like how you interact with people too based on like how they view the virus like I moved from New York to Florida and like I don't feel like some people that I know are being responsible and so I don't go out to things and I don't like see people or have them over at my house you know like Mm -hmm. because it's just like a whole different culture of dealing with things and definitely like is a real eye-opener on like the things we like judge people on and how we choose to move about like these things so I think mostly it's just been like my mental health has been up and down but otherwise I think 
I mean, a lot of people are having a super, super, super hard time. And I'm like really grateful that like this hasn't been the worst time in my life. And I know that some people are really dealing with that. So, yeah, I think you really capture well the tension of I think at the beginning even though I am super extroverted I was still like well I can I can do this for a couple months you know but it's like the longer it went on the the loss just mounting of yeah like things I'm missing out on or things that just aren't what I thought they were going to be for this year or whatever for like 2020 I'll look back at things and how many people are like 2020 is our year or for this or for that and no one knew like no one knew what was going to happen but then yeah the toll on mental health being such a big thing yeah yeah well for this next question um I don't think there's any one narrative surrounding Black Lives Matter. So I guess I'll ask what are the narratives surrounding Black Lives Matter and why are those the narratives? Yes. So I think there's like a few things. I think that Black Lives Matter also has like changed over so many years. Right. So like I have had the pleasure to be connected with like many activists over the years who were like kind of first responders to the initial Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter kind of call. Um, And I don't know if I would say Ferguson, I guess I'd say Ferguson was first. That's kind of like what I think of as like the big point where Mm -hmm. this became a thing. And like, I've I've met a lot of activists who went there, who Mm -hmm. dropped everything they were doing to go to Ferguson and like who joined some of the first chapters of Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter, the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like the message there, especially around that time was like, stop killing us. Mm -hmm. Um, Black people are not criminals because they're black. Mm -hmm. Um, And like Black Lives Matter, like Black Lives are they are valuable because they exist like life matters black life matters um and so Mm -hmm. I think that was like kind of like the initial kind of like call to arms I think like Mm -hmm. now is taken on a very because again like black lives matter kind of was like an organization at that time um and now like the larger black lives matter movement where it's like behind where Black Lives Matter is like more of an ideology mm-hmm. of these kind of same things, <clears throat> like stop killing us. Uh, Black lives are valuable. We deserve reparations, even to uh, abolish the police. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like reparations now in mass incarceration. Um, there's so many uh, ideologies now that are like have come to surface since that initial Mm -hmm. kind of rocket off of black lives matter and i mean the reason why is just because black people are tired (laughs) like i mean we're tired i like i said i'm from the south i grew up in jacksonville florida and um both of my parents went to segregated elementary schools Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad is from savannah georgia Um, So, and my parents are like very respectable black people, Mm -hmm. education, very important. And like, I'm privileged in the fact that both of my parents went to college, like in my family, college is not an option. It's Mm -hmm. a requirement. You must go. There's no like, we can't afford it. There's no, you can't afford it. You better make a way and get there mm-hmm. because there, you must go to college. And like, I'm privileged in that aspect mm-hmm. because there's plenty of people that I know now that I knew when I was going to college who were the first people in their families to go mm-hmm. to college. Um, and I think like black people are tired of like being the first mm-hmm. in, in 2020 and in 2021. Mm-hmm. Why are we still having like black first? why do we still have to prove that black people are valuable? Like Mm. we literally built this country, (laughs) like black people, which is like a real cool idea I've been hearing going around um, because white supremacy likes to place groups at odds with each other. And like, Mm. I've seen people say like indigenous people were here first. And I, 
obviously absolutely agree that indigenous people on the land of what we now call the United States of North America. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But we don't need to be at odds. Like black Mm -hmm. is indigenous to the United States though. Like Mm -hmm. there is no United States without black people. Mm -hmm. Just as much as indigenous Americans are indigenous to the Americas Black people are indigenous to the United States of America. Mm. There is no U.S. without Black people. And so, like, I think we're tired of saying that. We're tired of having to, like, prove that we're not these kind of, like, Mm. societal tropes. We we're tired of like carrying all this weight. We we don't want to take it anymore. And so that's why. The narratives for Black Lives Matter are what they are. Black people are exhausted and we want to see something different. Yeah. Yeah. Something I wrote down as you're talking, yeah, just to realize the evolution within the Black Lives Matter movement, but then to also make that distinction between organization versus ideology and how the ideology has shifted and how it is bringing in all these new conversations, how, yeah, the organization served as such a springboard for more things to talk about. It was started by, you know, three black queer women. Like I had the pleasure of meeting two out of the three of them, like around a few years back. And like, I think that that's even super important that three Mm -hmm. black queer women, like like started this movement you know like yeah yeah it's like really profound and like because of like because of like a tweet because they (laughs) said I'm tired of this because they're like yo black lives matter like here we are where like we shift from like seeing an organization of people saying black lives matter to a whole ideological revolution right Mm -hmm. like it is an ideological revolution of thought Mm -hmm. and like being able to bring up to name even more specific things Mm -hmm. about like where black life is where black lives matter needs to shine light on mass Mm -hmm. incarceration police abolition reparations you know i mean so many things capitalism i mean Mm -hmm. like read uh when they call you a terrorist by patrice yes colors yes okay yeah i was like i don't know how to say your last name so colors okay um but yeah so when i read that kind of getting back to what you said like knowledge in itself or the facts in themselves don't change someone's mind and they're not the the end but reading that story and or the stories um in this memoir and just the power of the narrative and the movement started and all that went into that. Um, And then I think, yeah, it's just such a big deal that it was queer black women leading this showing that from the onset, they had all black lives in mind, you know, they're thinking of all black people, even if the way something can get co-opted or people Mm -hmm. get left out of something, um, yeah, that they from the onset they were yeah. they were for all black people for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, so in your particular work and your being an artist and your activism, and even on your on your podcast, like what is the narrative that you believe about Black Lives Matter? Just the statement and how that should shape a country. Mm. Ooh, I think so. First, I always just think like my whole thing about black lives matter is like i do emphasize the all like Mm -hmm. because apparently you do need to say it like as Mm -hmm. somebody that's like queer and non-binary there's just like anyone just like any race there's heavy homophobia and transphobia Mm -hmm. like present um there's also so much ableism and like also kind of like when you throw money into the mix classism Mm -hmm. there's just like so there's like moving goalposts even within Mm -hmm. all our own communities right even white Mm -hmm. people have these problems where they look down on people who are poor they look down on people who are 
educated or uneducated according to them they look down Mm -hmm. on trans people they're just as homophobic um so for me it's like black life inherently matters because it's here that's it if a black person never contributes a goddamn thing to society Mm -hmm. and they just live and all they do is be black and die Mm -hmm. their life matters if they don't always do their best their life matters if they're a criminal their life matters if they harm people because everyone harms people their life still matters yeah there's no thing that you need to do for your life to matter you are valuable because you exist black people are valuable because they exist that's what i think about black lives matter black people are valuable because they are here and the fact that they're here really is a fucking miracle Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really is, but yeah. like that's what I think. Black yeah. lives matter because they're here. Period. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. It, even just thinking about how Black Lives Matter had to be said because Black lives weren't matter. Like the data right. and the lived experience was bearing out that our country was saying they don't matter. And so mm-hmm. then even that extra layer of having to then say all black lives matter because the data and the statistics that bear out the lives that are more vulnerable. And so having to have that all yeah, to encompass, yeah. yeah all black life. Um, yeah. And even there's still like the feeling, right. Also that when I, I talk to a lot of people and I also have this sentiment of like, because of like how, much black lives matter kind of blew up this year Mm -hmm. and like how it does every few years you know Mm -hmm. um also there's like a resentment towards like the phrase black lives matter because it's like why do you why first why do we even need to have this slogan unfortunately it sucks that we have to even say something like this Mm -hmm. but there's a thing when like you see white people being like black lives matter it's like i know (laughs) i know my life matters you know like i don't need you (laughs) to tell me that my life matters that's Mm. a you thing that's not Mm. a me thing black black lives matter is for white people for Mm. non-black people because black people we know we matter yeah no that's good it turns it back on putting the responsibility on white people to check themselves and figure out why they need that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Um, for us. And I think some people think that black lives matter is for black people. No, (laughs) it's for non-black people, black people. We know we matter or we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, within this whole conversation, like, did you always believe what you believe now? Or was there ever a time where you, wouldn't say what you're saying now Mm. I think that like as like a kid I had like problematic views I think like Mm -hmm. everyone has like problematic views and um grows through things like I definitely I have respectable parents I was respectable when I was Mm -hmm. growing up um I was very like I'm trying to think because also like I also love black people and I think I have always loved black people but I definitely used to try to like separate myself Mm -hmm. and say like I'm not that kind of black person or Mm -hmm. I was like labeled as not that kind of black person by other black Mm -hmm. people um but I think that like as I've like learned like I'm my views have all are like very very like pro for lack of a better word, progressive, but saying like, I make progress on my views. So like, I definitely have held like homophobic and transphobic views at one time or another. I'm sure like, I'm not even going to say that I haven't. I'm sure I definitely have. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have kind of always said what I thought (laughs) Mm -hmm. to like my detriment. I think there's like maybe certain settings where I wouldn't have 
done that but like I think back of like just who I am as a person and I have never really been shy about saying you know what I think and like what I believe that's kind of always been like a big part of my personality so even if I was like thank god like (laughs) I'm a little older and like everything I have ever said is not on the internet because like the internet social media wasn't even that huge until I like graduated Mm -hmm. high school basically um but yeah I mean I think I in the south like black history is like very important to black people and I grew up like always knowing about like black heroes and like Mm -hmm. I grew up in black churches and so that even has its own culture around like revolution and like when I moved to the north I realized it was not like that like my Mm. experience of like being like immersed in like a lot of black figures and a lot of black history and like knowing a lot of black history about stuff or like even like the main thing I remember is like meeting someone in New York who was like had never heard the black national anthem and like didn't know that it existed and I was like (laughs) wow crazy um so I also think I have to like thank my parents for that kind of upbringing of like knowing like that black people are valuable even if they were respectable like I saw a lot of like black figures in leadership like doing dope things Mm -hmm. and I've never thought that black people were inferior so so, like Mm -hmm. I definitely have never had a problem saying what I think and I've always been pretty outspoken even if I maybe was wrong I'm sure Mm -hmm. I have been yeah. Now, I just have to say something I appreciate about you so much is your authenticity and your vulnerability. Oh, and like, just to reference again, one of the webinars that you did with Tina that went on cancel culture and just how um, I, I cried in that one mm-hmm. <laughs> because of just how you and Tommy Allgood yeah, was yeah. on that one too. Yes. Just the, the kindness and the grace that you all and Tina too were bringing to the conversation while still holding people accountable, but just like, I don't know, it just freed me a lot to just be like able to be authentic and vulnerable about these are the things in the past that I said and did. And I'm on my way to not perpetuating that harm anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. So to just be able to, to say, yes, I once held these views. I no longer do. And I'm working to, uh, yeah, not, not enact that harm that I once did. It's just, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. What has this journey been like for you then living into the fullness of who you are? Um, I mean, I think it's dope. It's not the easiest. I think, um, I'm very like grateful for my therapist that I've all the therapists that I've had over the years. I think that like, deciding to be who you are no matter what it's like very hard in this world um especially like if you identify outside of anything that they Mm -hmm. want you to identify as if you are at all in the Mm -hmm. margins in any way um I think it's like hard to feel like nothing is wrong with you um or or and also accept that there also are things wrong with you but that's also okay um so I think for me it's been like sometimes I've been like really really hard of like being who you are and like losing people and Mm -hmm. losing friends and losing family members that's obviously Mm -hmm. never easy but I really love who I am and like I love who I am when I look in the mirror I sleep great at night um (laughs) knowing that like I hold the beliefs right now that I hold and like also knowing that I'm there's no like arrival point and that I still have a chance to like right whatever wrongs need to get righted and I might not get all of them I might not get to all of them but I could like try and I can be graceful to myself um I think that's what really has been super instrumental for me, like in the past maybe year or two of like doing more anti-racism work. I give myself a lot more grace um, for for living through what I'm living through. Um, 
And especially in the pandemic, giving myself extra, extra grace. Yeah. Because I don't want to pretend like my life and that how society is, is like, okay, how it should be. And like, is business as, even if it is business as usual, like, I don't want to get complacent in that. Um, so I try to keep that in mind too, of like, listen, this is going to be for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe take it easy on yourself from time to time. Um, and that allows me to take it easy on people also like Mm -hmm. who I feel I need grace to. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I love that. The reminder that there is no arrival point and the, the grace towards yourself. And then, yeah, I'm just learning more and more that how I treat myself spills over into how I treat others. And for me, like at the beginning of what I would consider like the starting point, quote unquote, of my anti-racism journey, just like the harshness and the judgment and the anger that I poured out on others was because I had to heal these places in myself that I wasn't being grace filled towards to be like, well, like the Maya Angelou quote about the, you know, that gets paraphrased down to know better, you know, when you know better, you do better. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't operating in that way towards myself. So then I couldn't operate in that way towards anyone else. And I was just expecting them to just like, why aren't you doing the right things instead of having, yeah, more of the grace, but I was lacking that towards Mm -hmm. myself. There is a nation my people came from. It's supposed to be my home. Open my mouth and I am a stranger. Everyone hears it in my tone. Well, I mentioned already about your, your podcast, um, Black Friends Dinner. So I just wanted to know if you could talk about your podcast a little, the guests you had on, the topics yeah. that stuck, that, you know, that stuck out to you. And yeah, I'd just love to hear more about yeah. it. Yeah. So Black Friends Dinner is uh, kind of just like a discussion. When I first started it, I just had, so what I would do is like, I would cook a soul food dinner and like have my friends over and we would like eat and drink and like talk about whatever we're talking about kind of the idea came from one I think I had like a dinner party at my house on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend or something like that and I was like you know what I should have a dinner party and only my black friends can come um and I was like oh I'm having a black friends dinner and I like was like invited a bunch of people over it was cool it was like having a big like thanksgiving meal but like in january or something um and that's kind of where i got the title um and then later started the podcast and i was like oh yeah this is like Mm -hmm. what i like to do i love to cook uh for people um like i love eating i think that's like such a great way to connect Mm -hmm. and also i think eating with people is personal like i don't Mm -hmm. share meals with everybody um because yeah. I think it's like you know and that's it's so interesting because that's like a very like Christian thing I think or like I know like in the Bible like Jews and Gentiles like you're not supposed to just be breaking bread with like just anybody like if you invite someone into your home like to eat like y'all should be in like pretty like good relationship um but yeah I just have my friends on and we talk about shit while we're being black about being black so some of my favorite guests I think my first episode that I released was with was with Hari Ziad who is like a pretty well-known anti-racism writer they just released a book I think it's called Black Boy Out of Time uh which is super super exciting uh and we talked about academia I also had um Ahmad Green on that show and we talked about academia and it was called black academia and we just talked about like education and the elitism and and the racism in education um I had an episode with my old roommate Aviva J and a good friend of mine Nate uh Nate Miles who's a musician and we talked about like 
Afrofuturism in regards to music. We talked about Donald Glover's This Is America, which is like I talk about Donald Glover a lot on my podcast and that I don't like him. Um, so if you ever listen, there's definitely like some Donald Glover hate on there. <laughs> and then I think my other favorite episode was um, I did an episode on a documentary that I was involved with that my partner produced uh, called Assigned Sex, and it followed five trans people over five years. And I got to interview uh, my partner, Sean Dawson, the filmmaker, and also the main character, um, Kyler O'Neill. I just want to make sure I use her correct name. Uh, Kyler, who is in the film. Um, and that was really dope because I just love to like bring in black people are just regular people and we deal with the same issues as everyone else. Um, and so being able to talk about like what life is like, cause I know I probably don't, I don't know how many white listeners I have, um, because the show is not for them per se, but, um, I think if white listeners are listening, like, they should be able to hear that black people live in a completely different world than they do um, and experience so things so much differently um, than they do. And the struggles that we deal with just like day to day are just so different in comparison to like our white counterparts. And that's like what I hope to do. I, I'm working on a new season. Obviously it changed because, you know, I can't invite, couldn't invite people into my house for dinner anymore, which was uh, like kind of a bummer, but um, I definitely am glad about who I got to talk to. Like I did talk to Corey, uh, Corey Leak from Existential. Tina Strawn is going to be on the podcast. We had a great interview. Um, so yeah, it opened up the guests a bit, even though I had to change format, but yeah, I really love, uh, black friends dinner and just the opportunity to just like talk and chat you know we're not too serious over there yeah oh I love hearing that origin story and yeah like you cooking and that there's something just so personal about being around a table together and the conversations that were had and yeah you already said this like that it's not for white people. So I did want to ask you like who were you prioritizing as you recorded your podcast episodes yeah, I think I'm definitely like prioritizing black people. I think that black people need um, podcasts that just kind of like talk about their experience where they're just like shooting the shit, everything. Like as someone who like does anti-racism work, I can tell you, I don't listen to anti-racism podcasts. I'm tired. That's not how I like to spend my my leisure time and podcasting like just like other people, I love true crime. I love comedy podcasts, mostly true crime. Um, you know, like I don't listen to anti-racism podcasts like mm -hmm. on my own. Um, but I think I do listen to podcasts where like black people are just like living their regular lives mm -hmm. and talking about it. And so like, I really just want black people to be able to rest a little bit and not necessarily have to like be thinking like critically and analytically about being black all the time. Like being yeah. black is not the burden. Like white supremacy mm. is the burden. So like, I just hope that like black friends dinner is like a space for like whatever black people need at that time. Do you need healing? Mm. Do you need to feel seen? Do you need, your feelings to be validated do you want to hear about like a new artist that you might possibly like it doesn't have to be all let's fight white supremacy mm. all the time because like our existence our joy our rest mm. that definitely is fighting white supremacy black people resting mm. black people enjoying doing things that are leisurely that's fighting white supremacy so yeah yeah uh yeah so much of that right the rest is resistance and the joy yeah. and taking back your time from all that white supremacy right. wants to destroy um and that's also yeah just really interesting for you to not listen to like you're not going to use your leisure time to listen to stuff that right you're you do this already and to 
um, I love hearing your your interests, your podcast interests. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, what would you say was difficult? And then what would you say you enjoyed most about recording? Mm. Ooh, what's the hard part? I think the hard part about doing a podcast, first, I had never done one before. Um, so there's like a learning curve to like sound and equipment and um, also like figuring out how I want my podcast to sound what do I want like the segments to be like like you know I had to like write it kind of um and yeah so I did that and then I would like have to cook huge meals um the day of which sometimes was a little exhausting and I also like you worry about like the success of your podcast of like how many people are listening are people listening um So those are the hard parts. I think the fun part is just like eating and talking and like having laughs, (laughs) like, and like smoking and drinking and like being Mm -hmm. like people being like, is it okay to cuss on this podcast? I'm like, you can say whatever you want. Um, Just getting to have those like real moments again, like these really, a lot of these people really are like my, I feel like they're my friends, you know? Um, So that's like super enjoyable and fun to just I mean black people are so multifaceted and just like have so many different perspectives to offer and there's so many ways to be black and like seeing that the differences in black people and also Mm -hmm. like how all those things overlap is just like so dope like having Caribbean black people Mm -hmm. on the podcast and talking about what's soul food to you and then asking someone uh, like a good friend of mine Akil who was on who's Chinese and black what's soul food to you and like those Mm -hmm. different answers but like the overlap is it's just really beautiful. Like mm-hmm. we're very different, but we're also like not as different as we think. And I think mm-hmm. those are like my favorite things about the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, the learning curve for sound yeah. and equipment. Um, so to all my listeners, just know that I couldn't figure out my AirPods at the beginning of trying to record Nandi. So <laughs> still on the learning curve for me. And yeah, I think too, just that like, holding people's stories and like the sacred space you're creating is just, yeah, it's so beautiful. Well, at the beginning, you said um, that you consider yourself this, you know, foremost, this artist and creative. So um, I did get to listen to some of your music and just loved your voice and the, what you chose to use for the music and um, all that. So did you always want to be a singer and songwriter? Oh my gosh, yes. I've wanted to be a singer for my whole life. I grew up singing. My mom is a musician. Actually, like my mom and dad are both musicians in like some way or another. I grew up like my mom used to play in churches. She's like Mm -hmm. a classically and jazz trained pianist and she Mm -hmm. sings. She plays the flute. Um, Yeah, and then my dad played a bunch of instruments and he can sing a little and... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I like came from a super musical background and I my mom used to say that um, I could sing before I could talk. <laughs> so I love singing. Um, it's like my favorite thing. I think that I yeah, I think that what sing, being a singer, what that looks like for me has definitely like changed over the years. Like I definitely wanted to be like an entertainer mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for a job. Um, I used to want to like think I could be like a singer like for a living Uh, but now that's not at all like my goal (laughs) it's like something I'm like kind of not even really like open to because I because capitalism and just like how capitalism and art like Mm -hmm. they just how they can create problems for each other and you know, mm-hmm. like only so many people are going to be famous, you know, does that change whether I'm going to make music or not? And that's a real thing for some people. Yeah, um, that's something I confronted, like, if no one listened to my music, would I still make it? And like, I felt mm-hmm. like, yes, if I don't make music, I will die. Like, that's mm-hmm. how, like, I feel like if I can't sing, I will die. Um, mm-hmm. And so, 
yeah, I've always wanted to be a singer and there's nothing that would ever stop me from being a singer, even if I'm doing other things too. Yeah. Not it, just hearing you say, like, if I don't sing, like I would die. So just seeing like music bringing life to you yeah. and being this space because it's not about creating for the money or a fame, but it's creating to stay alive. Um, it's just something that, you know, even friends I have who are artists and creatives, that same kind of theme running throughout mm -hmm. their work is I do this to stay alive. Um, yeah. And so you talked about your parents, like what else would you say influences you as a singer and a songwriter? Mm, I think, I mean, obviously like life influences me. I don't write a lot of songs. Um, I do write songs. I mean, like, I do write my own songs. But I definitely, like, am someone who, like, if I could have, like, a whole career and only mm -hmm. sing covers, like, I would. Because I just mm -hmm. think that there's, like, so much good music that's already been made. Um, mm -hmm. And so I do do a lot of covers. Like, I love doing covers. Um, but, like, other artists inspire me. Um, like, my probably favorite artist of all time is Donny Hathaway and... Mm -hmm. We have like such similar like upbringings. Like he grew up in the church. I mean, he was like prolific level <laughs> like singer. He had like a record deal at like three or four. Donny Hathaway, so crazy from singing in the church. Um, but like he left the church to go sing secular music and had that whole like rift with his family for doing that. Um, also, it's like speculated that he was queer and closeted. Um, also had like struggle with mental health mm -hmm. um issues they're saying that it would have been diagnosed like bipolar disorder now um and also he did a lot of covers and um he there's something about like his voice that just like really connects with me like his voice on its own to me is like so sorrowful it, it has a story on its own just like how he sings notes and then he just yeah and then he like used his music for the movement like mm -hmm. I just like people who are willing to like sacrifice their art for the movement people like Donny Hathaway people like Nina Simone who were like mm -hmm. I will give them black people everything that I can give them including my art because like I believe in us and like I don't believe that we're inferior like that really really super inspires me so mm -hmm. I've been working on a lot of new music um since the pandemic mm -hmm. and like it's definitely very reflective of like what's happening like one of the songs mm -hmm. is called riot you know and like mm -hmm. it's yeah. just that's what it's called riot and like it's not out yet but like is I've been listening to it and working on it with my band and like it's very reflective of like I'm ready to burn that shit down I did like a song there's a song on my SoundCloud called burn it down mm. um, that I did this like yeah I write about I write when I feel moved you know mm. to write Yeah, just thinking about how life and this moment we're in right now influencing you and then to be able to look back in history and see different people who used music for the movement is yeah. just, yeah, so beautiful. Um, well, where can people find your music? I know you mentioned SoundCloud. Yeah, you guys can find my music um, at SoundCloud slash Nandi, K-A-Y-Y-Y, I'm pretty sure. Um, I also have a band camp, so you can find me on there. Um, I'm not on Spotify or anything yet, but I think by the end of 2021, I should have some um, things coming out on Spotify. So, yeah. And awesome. then I'll find me at .com. You can find everything there. Okay, I'll put those in the in the show notes so that people can go find that. Um, well, I wanted to quickly talk about like your activism and then um, some concluding questions to wrap up our conversation. So what does it mean to you to be an activist? Mm. That's a good question. I think to me, activism, like it's like when you activate, like I think of activists, they're activate, mm -hmm. you know, um, 
I feel activated by the things that are going on. I try to constantly speak up and advocate for people mm-hmm. who are marginalized. I, yeah, a lot of activism to me is just like challenging people's mm-hmm. ideas and like having the gall to say, I think you should think about that again in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, that's what it's been for me, uh, having like a lot of hard conversations and yeah, for me, it's just been like a lot of talking and a lot of just challenging people's thinking. I don't think, um, I'm not, a. I have like pretty crippling social anxiety these days. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, I'm not out at protests anymore. There was mm-hmm. a time where like, that was, important to me but like I had an incident with a cop my in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, my ex-girlfriend and I were on our way home from a show and she was assaulted by an off-duty officer mm-hmm. um, and we had to sue the NYPD and it was super traumatic I was there I thought she was going to get killed in front of me by police and like that kind of took me out of going to protests because mm-hmm. um, I just like cannot be around police officers and it's just a very like traumatic thing to experience and then have to go yeah. like and living in New York, New York City, New York City is a like very much a police state. There are cops everywhere you go. And so like those I don't go to protests anymore because like those kind of experiences, I can't really like deal with that. But I definitely can like share ideas and amplify ideas that are better than mine and amplify work that's already being done and also kind of like Mm -hmm. give my two cents so yeah yeah I I love that activism and activate and you're doing what activates you and then after that experience you had knowing where you can't in that space anymore and then also using your platform and influence to amplify the work that is already happening. Um, yeah, well, I guess if you could just speak, uh, challenges you face, but also what you've been able to celebrate in your activism. Um, I always think challenges are like kind of like losing people close to you when you like Mm -hmm. do things like that, or just having to have like very like hard conversations, like with people who you are like in relationship with. Mm -hmm. I have friends that are white and like, all our conversation I mean like I give it up to my friends who are white because if you are white let me tell you it's not easy to be friends with me because Mm -hmm. I don't give any white people any slack Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do assume best intentions but you will always be held accountable no Mm -hmm. matter what you need to be clear about what you say I will correct you Mm -hmm. I will remind you when you are having a moment that only white people get to have (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know um And so like, that's been hard. Like sometimes you lose people. I've lost Mm -hmm. friends over, you know, protecting trans folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've lost friends over protecting gay people. Um, I think that's like the hardest part, but the reward is that like, I get to create the world I want to live in, in, at least in my Mm -hmm. little bubble, right? Like Mm -hmm. in my part of the world, in like how I walk around in my community I don't have to deal with that shit (laughs) like and if I do it's like very few and also like the people that I have to correct are open to it like Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by people who are open to having their thinking challenged um Mm -hmm. no matter what because they want to learn and grow just like I do so that's Mm -hmm. like a huge reward and success and totally makes everything worth it Yeah. Yeah. I I do feel like losing friends over human rights issues. is just so tough. And and then for you, like not just about black lives, but other layers and other, other groups is is so tough. But then, yeah, I loved that language used of you get to create the world you want to live in and just really empowering for you to be able to make that space for yourself and around yourself for your safety, your mental health, all of that. Yeah. Um, well, what is helping you continue living into the fullness of who you are? Mm. I think that when my life is over or when the world mm-hmm. ends, maybe that'll be first. Um, and we'll all go out at the same time. The earth isn't doing too great. Uh, 
but I like to think that like I'm very happy with who I am now and mm -hmm. like I want to continue that feeling all the way until my life is over that I feel mm -hmm. like I love myself and embrace mm -hmm. myself in the fullness of who I am so that other people can see that it's okay to mm -hmm. embrace themselves fully as they are and so uh, such a deep question it's like how do you keep showing up <laughs> also the other because like I'm the only one who has to live my life mm -hmm. like I'm the only person who has to be me nobody mm -hmm. else has to be me nobody has to wake up as me in the morning except for me and so like I don't want to wake up and go into a life where I feel like I have to cut off a part mm -hmm. of myself so that yeah. I can continue living. I refuse to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and it took me a long time to get to that place where I, where I had to say like, literally no matter what, I'm going to show up as myself. And sometimes that means like not showing up. Sometimes that means not showing up as my best. Um, but just like always being honest about where I'm at and being like, okay with where I'm at, even mm -hmm. if it's not the best. It's like, well, this is where I am now. So let me deal with where I am now. Like yeah. I am, I'm the only one who has to live my life. And so I want to like myself and that's what keeps mm. me showing up as myself. Mm. Yeah. The part you said that really stuck out to me, refusing to cut off a part of yourself to continue living is yeah. yeah, just very liberating for you and to be able to see that in other people's lives that, Yeah that freedom. Uh, well, where can people find you on social media and stay up to date on the work that you're doing? Yes, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as at Nandi, K-A-Y-Y-Y, three Y's. Um, you can also find me um, on Facebook as Nandi K and yeah, nondk.com is my website, which you can find everything there. That's like a hub for all my stuff. Oh, and then you can also check me out. Um, I work with uh, Andre Henry with the Hope and Hard Pills team or Hope Club. And so you can also check me out sometimes there on the Hope and Hard Pills podcast as a guest host. Oh, awesome. Okay, I did see that in your Instagram bio, but yeah. I didn't have that down as a question to ask. But yes, okay, because you... Are you on the team or something, like with yeah. Hope and Heart Pills? Yeah. So I've, I've been friends with Andre for a very long time, um, but I've been working with him in a few capacities like social media. And um, last year we did a Juneteenth panel that I facilitated. Mm -hmm. That was really cool where we had Andre. Um, we had Andre there. We had Alicia Crosby. We had mm -hmm. Dee Delgado. Uh, which was really dope. So we do a, we do a bunch of different things. Um, I'll be joining him on his book talk. That's just for his Patreon subscribers this oh. month um, about Black Rage, which will be the last Sunday of March. Uh, yeah, but I'm like a project manager there, but you know, I just support the work and yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool to know that connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, last two questions. What advice do you have for others who say they are committed to dismantling all systems of oppression? Mm, I think the advice I have is just uh, remain open, um, open to being wrong, open to being corrected open to being accountable, open to changing your mind. Um, all these things are like open to listening to people and really hearing what they're saying to you, hearing what their experiences are. Um, I think that's the most important thing you can do because as long as you stay open to all those things, there's like the capacity for change. And like mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, there's no arrival point. So there's no point at which you would stop doing this or stop being open or stop being understanding or stop being ready to change your mind. But the choice is always up to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so good because that applies across the board <laughs> to every conversation yeah. and any any new topic. Because I know for me, right, like it is like one 
one issue opened up the door to another issue to another until, yeah, like I just want to always be examining myself and being able to, yeah, do what you say is to stay open because then that's the capacity for change can, Mm -hmm. can come through that. Um, Well, what would you say is your hope for black lives matter? Mm. I mean, I hope black people get to be free. I hope black people are liberated. I hope that everyone gets to be free, but I especially hope that black people get to be free. And by free, I mean, like, I think black people should live for free. I feel like the ultimate, my dream of reparations is that like Mm -hmm. black people don't ever have to pay for anything. They can work if they so choose. Um, Yeah, and that's it. I think Black people should just be able to live for free, period, in every single way, do whatever they want to do, have it fully funded, not have to think about any kind of limitations. I want Black people to be, like, completely free, and that's what I hope will happen someday, even if I don't get to see it. Yeah, I recently asked a friend, like, how she would know, like, she was a guest on the podcast, and we're talking about the necessity of reparations, and I asked her, like, how would you know that, essentially, that white people are taking this seriously, and she's like, when I see a check was, like, her her big thing, Um, and so then it just makes me think, right, like, when it's all hypothetical, theoretical, it's easy to be like, you know, yes, I want black people to be free, too, you know, like, as a white person, Mm -hmm. but then to actually be like, not just these symbolic gestures, right. but something in practice and yeah. something that is long overdue for sure. Yeah. So, I always yeah. say like, I want black people to be able to like go shopping when they go shopping, they put their shit on the counter and there's like a button for black and it makes their total zero and they bag up your shit and mm-hmm. you go like yeah. real free. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, Nandi, thank you so much for your generosity with your time and for talking with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Same. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was great. I am seriously so grateful that Nandi said yes to coming onto the podcast and for who they are as a human. If you need to listen to their interview a second time because of all the richness and layers contained in their words, there's no judgment for me because I'm definitely going to listen again too. As a reminder, the music from today's episode was Water featuring Lucy by Michael Bornet and Jasmine Rodriguez, and the full song will close out the episode. You can stream, purchase, and download Micah's music at michaelbornet.bandcamp.com. If you like what you heard today, share it with a friend. I really think that little by little, person by person we can broaden the narrative i also want to thank jordan lukens for his help with editing and danielle boland for creating the episode graphic you can access the broadening the narrative blog and transcripts for episodes as they become available by visiting broadeningthenarrative.blogspot.com come back next week for a conversation with jordan lukens titled when your christian theology is considered heretical grace and peace friends there is a nation my people came from is supposed to be my home open my mouth and i am a stranger everyone hears it in my tone as i fumble through the language Father wrote my mother poems and I wonder, is there a place where I belong? A place where I belong. There is a nation I'm born and raised in. It is supposed to be my home. I am a stranger here in my own land. Everyone hears it in my tone. Speaking Spanglish with an echo of an island. I don't know all my features. Tell my neighbors I'm too other to belong. Where is the water? Where is the sand? Where is the sky? And where is the land? Where is the nation? Where is the flag that treats me as their own? Where is the kindness? Where is the hand? Where is
People been here for generations. Still, I'm unsure if we'll ever belong. Brown versus board of assimilation. Hollow the victory, tokenization. Still in the ghettos, still segregation. Natives still suffering on reservations. I am American, I am as true as it knows. Red, white, and singing the blues. Blacks and indigenous hated by the very nation they built with our ancestors' bones. I am a river polluted with greed and with theft. I am a protest with flesh. I am the thirsty dark children still guzzling lead. Still no one can answer me this. Where is the water? 